Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am John Agurney. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and a writer of books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It is Will Ashen. Hey, Joe. Now, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. That's all of our episodes, written content, and more. Write into the show anytime by sending us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us directly, you can always become one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, and we've had a pretty chaotic mm-hmm. week. Uh, our Good Boys sure. episode was last week, and it took a while yeah. for it to come out. So this is a bit of a yeah. whiplash for the listeners. Sure. It's a... Uh, yeah, I, I was very surprised that um, that episode uh, finally came out in time. I wasn't sure if it was going to make the, jet off or, the cutoff or not, but I'm glad it did. That was a good episode. We talked about a lot of films, and this week's going to be a little bit different. We have one featured review that we're both pretty excited, I think, to talk about. That is Ready or Not, a new horror film from Radio Silence. And we have some off-topics to get to, and our off-topics are pretty loaded, so let's get into it right now. First off, Extra Milestone, for those of you who don't know, that is our bonus podcast series that we do here at Cinemaholics with Sam Nolan and Julia Tatey. Extra Milestone is where we celebrate a film anniversary, a classic film, typically. I, don't, I shouldn't say typically. We've only done classic films so far. Mm-hmm. But every month we, we pick one out of many films that is celebrating a film anniversary and we always rely on the listeners to help us vote. So we're putting out the reminder because we're about to choose the movie for this episode, like very soon. So this is your last chance. So far, the lead for this month, the month of August, is on the waterfront, right? That has the most votes. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of yep. other movies in play. Yeah, I want to make sure I got that right. So there are a lot of other movies in play, North by Northwest, uh, Wizard of Oz, Iron Giant. Uh, I think our second place at the moment is actually Iron Giant and Apocalypse Now as well. Th- those are the ones that have been voted on so far. Life of Brian, got to mention that one. Which one are you uh, favoring, Will? Which one do you want to talk about the most? Um, I don't know if I really have a specific horse in this race. I mean, I'm very curious for a number of these films. The only one... I might have to do some pushback on is North by Northwest because uh, I told my aunt a while ago that's yet with her. So if that got picked, I'd have to unfortunately abstain from the, the review. But other than that, um, I'm pretty much open to a number of these films. So I don't know if I'd pick On the Waterfront over, say, Wizard of Oz, which is one of my favorite films, or The Iron Giant, which is a childhood favorite of mine, or Apocalypse Now, which is a film I've been meaning to see for a long time. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm very curious about a number of these films, truth be told. Yeah, well, you know, Will, I think it sounds to me like if North by Northwest wins, we just have to have 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 your aunt on the show. That's how we'll have to do it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, good luck trying to get her, but I'll see what we can do. She's pretty booked as far as movie podcasts go, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, uh, a a bunch of other off-topics. D23 is in full swing at the moment. Uh, I think today's the day that they're talking about the parks and all that news, but we, we learned a lot about stuff going on with Disney+, Plus, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars. Now, we're not a film news show. We're, we're not going to go beat for beat, but we, we do kind of want to give our general impressions, especially with the big news story of the week, which is that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is going to be leaving the Marvel Cinematic Universe officially, And it's been a bit of a a boomerang. I think some people have been in denial about whether or not this is really happening. And uh, it looks like it really is, because at D23, Tom Holland and Kevin Feige actually talked about the deal, how everything went down. 
And it just looks like Sony really wants to hold on to Spider-Man. They, they've made a lot of money through Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man Homecoming, Venom, and of course, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But because of that success, they, they're looking at Marvel's uh, the stakes raising. They, they want more money out of these films based on that deal. They, they get, a, what is it, like 10 or 5, 10% of the box office revenue for the, for the Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies that Sony releases. Uh, that's the Tom Holland ones, to be clear. And yeah. it just looks like Sony doesn't want to up that because Disney definitely wants more. They want 50%, something like that, of the of box course. office revenue. Sony's yeah. like, not going to happen, which very reasonable. And as a result, Kevin mm-hmm. Feige is not going to be the producer of the whatever Spider-Man movies come out in the future. And, and it looks like Tom Holland just might be done as Spider-Man. I mean, is that the case, Will? Am I reading this right? I don't know, because I've been kind of vague about these details as well. I know the initial report, either from Variety or Deadline, I think it said that John Watts and Tom Holland were still going to be involved, except that the future movies with them were just not going to be attached to the MCU somehow, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I'm not 100% clear how that would work out, unless, like, the stories that they were going to do next were, like, extremely contained, and just, like, they offhandly mentioned Avengers but never show them. But, yeah, it would, it would make more sense. Because I have to imagine there's some kind of like deep wedded contract where they have to be together for Tom Holland to play the part. So I don't know exactly, but it sounds like they're going to try to keep doing it with Tom Holland regardless of this fracture. Right. So at D23 specifically, Tom Holland said, who knows what the future holds? So it doesn't sound like he's definitively done, but the five movie deal that Marvel made with Sony is done. There's been five movies where Tom Holland has been Spider-Man. Two of those have been standalone. And Obviously, the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, we won't give it away, definitely sets up more Spider-Man movies. Like, There's no way around that. So, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how all of that is going to play out and whether or not they are really going to wrap up that series of movies well. Because it's just hard to imagine the Tom Holland Spider-Man removed from the sandbox of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, so many of those characters overlap. And it's hard to imagine a Tom Holland Spider-Man movie without John Favreau, for example, playing Happy Hogan. It's hard to imagine uh, just seeing this world without the implications. Like, is Avengers Tower not going to be in the background of the next Tom Holland Spider-Man movie if it even comes out? That that's the sort of thing that's worrying me. And you know, in in a in a low stakes kind of way, it's not something that's keeping me up at night. Uh, I definitely am mm-hmm. happy with the Spider-Man movies we've gotten, and I like that Sony has their own superhero movie universe that they can do i really like spider-man into the spider-verse and i like the the direction they seem to be headed in with their own content but at the same time it is a bummer that the the mcu that that they can't be independent you know what i mean like they can't just have those tom hell and spider-man movies play with the mcu in their own way but i guess it is hard to reconcile that with kevin feige not overseeing it yeah i don't know i have kind of mixed feelings about it in general i mean if this were like Universal and Sony talking and they, you know, were both kind of uh, on the outs and trying to maintain their status in Hollywood, I'd be a little more lenient to one side or the other. But I feel like Disney, they have so much at this point. Like, it really doesn't make a difference to them if they don't make more money off Spider-Man. And I don't know. I'm not saying they're being greedy at this point when it comes to Spider-Man, but it just seems like, but they I don't are. know. They're being greedy. Yeah, they just kind of need to suck it up. They're, they're on track yeah. to make $10 billion at the box office this year, in right. 2019. They and every other studio is like lucky if they'll make $1 to $2 billion. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, to me, that's greed. That's, that's greed. That's what I'm saying. 
when like you aren't content with having that large of a gap in between and i get that they're they're in this business to make money but at some point there there needs to be a little bit of soul searching on the part of these producers who actually do have a say and could influence the direct the creative direction of disney and how it really pleases the fans over their bottom line that that's all i'll say about that yeah i mean i ultimately side more with sony on this than uh disney based on what we've heard just because i don't think they handled it particularly well like i don't know if it should have been so immediate for them to step out but at the same time i mean given that venom made like 800 or more million dollars worldwide and they got an oscar for into the spider-verse it's easy to see how they feel validated to be like, we can do this on our own. Now, granted, I don't know if the films themselves will stand out. I mean, Venom was not a very good film. And I can't imagine that Venom 2 and Carnage and all the other movies they have uh, in the works will work out. But yeah, it, it, it definitely doesn't seem like the best option. But like I said, Sony seems to be more in the right here just because I don't. Disney doesn't need more money, ultimately. And, I mean, anybody who's saying, like, oh, Disney should just buy Sony, that's absurd. Like, that's a terrible decision. And especially, that would be very bad. Especially in the wake of what we've seen with Fox. I remember, exactly. you know, a while back, people people got on our case for criticizing all this and criticizing the Fox merger and being like, no, it's going to be fine. You know, Fox is still going to hang out. And there's still going to be great Fox movies yeah, no, that that hasn't turned out to be the case whatsoever. And, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. Fox Searchlight looks like it probably won't last. And those are a lot of great films down the pipeline that are just being forgotten and dismissed. And yeah, if that happened to Sony too, I, I mean, I think people are being a little yeah. short-sighted when they just be like, Disney should buy everything. Disney isn't a technical monopoly right now, but they're getting very close to that status. I mean, they're on the verge of it, yeah. where they're going to basically dictate the terms of everything going on at the movies. And that is a dangerous reality to live in, because one company shouldn't be able to mm. control all of our entertainment. People should people need to be a little exactly. bit more aware of how problematic that is. Like th That will not lead yeah. to an environment where really great films from really great filmmakers are coming out in the interest of audiences uh, in balance with the interest of these businesses. That, that's what we're really shooting for here in an ideal world. The audiences are placated 100% all the time. Obviously, we're realistic people. We know that's not going to be the case. There has to be a balance between what makes money and what is good art, what, what, is, what is good filmmaking. And a world where only one studio gets to dictate what comes out in that way, is, is it's less and less likely that we, we're going to have a cinematic landscape that accommodates that sort of thing. That And that that's the big problem I see. I, I'm not saying Sony is a great corporation. We need to be like, man, Sony, they're just like the underdogs. There's a lot of problems that I have with Sony's structure and that have been in full full light for, for years now. And I think Tom Rothman, the, the sooner they really set that guy aside from the Spider-Man movies, the better, because he's been, he, he's been so away from off the mark in terms of the superhero movie. Oh, I was going to say, is it him or A.V. Aird or Averd or whatever that guy? Cause I thought he was the one that was Avi making all the decisions. Him as well. Avi Arad, but, and, and he, he gets a lot of slack for this and rightfully so. I, I don't want to say Tom Rothman is a monolith, but he definitely he definitely is a big he's he's definitely a stronger force than some people realize he he's the executive of these movies whereas like Avi Arad has been kind of enabled as a creator in that space and it's just difficult because Rothman oversees 
all of these all of these films in a lot of ways. And I mean, you just have to look at his track record, and you can see like he has made bad call after bad call, but for whatever reason, he he remains uh, the the chairman of Sony. And that to me is what's unconscionable, honestly. Yeah. Well, I will say though, if if this does continue to go through, if if Disney and Sony don't come to an understanding, and it really is the end for both. Uh, if, if, as far as their creative relationship is concerned, I don't want them to make yet another origin story for Peter Parker. I feel like the best option would be like maybe a very contained Miles Morales film, like a live action Miles Morales film, not exactly like into Spider-Verse where it's kind of big and expansive, but like something just about like Miles Morales helping out the neighborhood, I think would be probably the best bet if we have to have another, you know, Spider-Man character. Cause at this point it's becoming like James Bond as far as like people just, rotating into the part so i feel like if there is going to be yet another spider-man movie because they're not going to let this stay dormant uh i'd, I'd hope that would be the best course of action what do you think uh, i think that they're holding on to they're, they're going to learn the, the probably the wrong lessons from venom they have the morbius yeah. movie coming out they, they're going right. to lean into the the spider-man rogues gallery approach that they sort of abandoned after amazing spider-man 2 and I think that, yeah, they're, they're probably going to let Spider-Man gestate for a bit, like the mainline Peter Parker, since they probably won't be able to bring Tom Holland back. And if they can, you know, who, who knows what will happen with that? I, I'm not sure. But yeah, the way I see it, they, they have the Spider-Verse to hold on to those rights. They can keep making those sequels. And then in the meantime, they can flesh out the rest of Spider-Man's comic book history with other like peripheral characters without including Spider-Man. That's yeah. one approach Sinister that I'm Sticks. sure they're considering. Yeah, a Sinister Six movie. I mean, that's that's been in the twinkle of Amy Pascal's eye for yeah. over a decade, I feel like. So yeah. um, who, who knows? Who knows if that's really going to be the case? But that's enough. That's enough Spidey. You know, we, we don't have to keep daily bugling. This story, uh, it's one that's still in development, and it it could be a completely different, different story by next week. Who knows? So let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. Uh, In terms of D twenty three as a whole, a lot of stuff came out. A lot of things were announced. Again, we're not going to go through the the glut of everything, um, but we do want to tackle a couple of big picture takeaways. Uh, Which which realm of D twenty three stuck out to you the most, though, Will? Like, what what was one like slew of announcements? There's a lot of different things to pick from. There are like the animated films. There's the Marvel stuff. There's the Star Wars stuff. Which which of those realms stood out for you the most? Well, one of the biggest things I saw that stood out to me is that we're finally getting a She Hulk movie or She Hulk show. I mean, uh, which is very exciting for me because that was one of the things, uh, one of the characters. I was like, if the if if the Marvel universe is going to continue, we should do something with she-hulk because she-hulk is kind of like what a deadpool could be for the marvel cinematic universe like she's not quite as profane but she is very meta and self-aware in a way that i think could shake things up pretty well so that was exciting for me um i thought the mandalorian trailer was cool i definitely was uh, impressed with what we got there and i still find it extremely uh bizarre and surreal to see Werner herzog uh in a star wars property i oh, mean yeah. i knew and carl weathers yeah but i mean just something about Werner Herzog, like it just—it's just very odd. It's like two parts of my brain are in constant fighting about this uh, this casting decision. But it's just, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just a very weird thing for me, and I, I'm very excited to see it nonetheless. But it's—it's it's something I'm still processing, especially after watching the trailer. And um, well, just from a personal front, um, seeing the High School Musical, uh, the the musical, the show—I don't know if you knew this. Uh, John, but my good buddy Matt Serafini, 
his brother, Joe Serafini, is in the show. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, he's playing the... Did you see the trailer for it? I did not. And okay. to be super clear with the audience, the reason I want you to, to start us off is because I'm still cramming on all of this. I, I didn't follow the D23 Expo minute by minute, so there's some things that I'm still learning about. Yeah, so I don't know the character's name in the show, but he's playing like the guy version of Sharpay, which I'm very excited for. It's definitely a nice hometown moment for me. Wait, a- so the guy version of Sharpay, that's not Sharpay's twin brother? Um, I'm not 100% sure... Uh, I think it's the guy. I think they like gender swap Sharpay for the show. Okay, all right. I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, I just know he's in it. He has a pretty prominent role, so that's very exciting for me. Um, but those are things that stood out for me as far as D23. Other than that, I, I wasn't really following on Saturday what was happening, and to me, the biggest thing was Netflix dropping the trailer for the Breaking Bad movie, which I think trumped everything that they had on Saturday for me personally. But uh, if there's anything that's that stands out to you. Uh, let me know, because huh. I, I wasn't really following on Saturday, truth be told. Yeah, so so we're both playing a little bit of catch-up. I have to say, well, I look, you know I love Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad gifts. I, I love all of it. I'm not interested in more Breaking Bad content. I think you kind of got a sense of that in our loose conversations about how I'm watching like one episode of Better Call Saul a year. So it good. Feels like. I know, I know. That's what I've heard. But yeah. I, I'm not I'm not looking forward to a Breaking Bad movie. I'll watch it, I guess. But yeah, that, that, that does not get me nearly as excited as anything else that was brought up yesterday. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, to me, I'm excited because with Better Call Saul, they've proven that they, <clears throat> they don't just make something to do it, I think. I think they put their best interest into it. I think they know that this is such an important story for them that they can mess it up at any point. So I don't think Vince Gilligan would have just made a Jesse Pinkman movie just because like, I think he has something he wants to say or something he feels needs to be tied up with this character. So that's what gets me excited. Um, I don't know. It could not work out, but I am nervously very excited for this movie. Yeah. To, to be clear, I, I think it could be really good. Uh, you know, I, I think that people will probably really like it and it'll be fine. I'm just personally not as invested uh, in terms of, Oh yeah. So she Hulk, She-Hulk, similarly so, is not a character I've ever been that into. The thing that excites me about She-Hulk in general, honestly, is the idea of her heading up an A-Force movie down the road. Because as we've discussed, I I like that Disney Plus and the the films seem to be like closely connected. And it's a little depressing that we didn't get that sort of thing sooner with shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and the Netflix shows because Disney wanted those things to be more separate because it benefits, again going back to their bottom line, it benefits them to have their shows and movies disconnected when they don't own or like fully own that network. There's a reason why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had more connective tissue because it was an ABC thing. How could you forget that classic scene in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season two where they were cleaning up the mess from Thor the Dark World? I mean, (laughs) how could you live without that scene? It really just (laughs) brought the world's colliding in so many adventurous ways. But yeah, I I just love uh, because they hype that up so much. It's like this movie's going to connect to Thor. And it's just like them sweeping the street. (laughs) So dumb. Right, right. Yeah. And and, and I, I think, though, there is an exciting prospect to see with Disney and their streaming service bringing about content in a different way where you don't have like a solo, a Star Wars story situation where it's like, it's something that feels less appealing as a big movie event and more interesting is it like, oh, here's here's like a solo series, right? That, that probably could have been more successful in the long run. And 
I, I think that's kind of what they're doing with like Mandalorian, with this Obi-Wan thing, uh, just getting into the Star Wars stuff a bit, where, where they're scaling back the Star Wars content to be a little bit more like fitting the medium. And, and, and I think we've, we've advocated that very thing on the show plenty of times. And then I see that sort of thing happening with Marvel even more directly, where they've talked about how WandaVision is going to play in straight into the events of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. That, that's the balance of like, that's cool for fans. That's also, you know, good for Disney's bottom line. It gets people to buy into their streaming service, which is what they want. But to do that, they're creating like a content pipeline that fans can get excited about and be interested in, assuming all of these projects are good. That said, more so than She-Hulk, I'm excited about Miss Marvel. Uh, th- this is a character who I have been chomping at the bit to see like a really awesome show or movie about, and it looks like they're going to do a show and they're going to include her in the movies. And if, if you're not up to date on Kamala Khan, the like the new Miss Marvel, she is one of my favorite superheroes of like the modern comics era. And I'm so excited for more people to become fans of her because she's so exciting and interesting and her stories are they're just fresh. They feel like way more 21st century than a lot of stuff. It's similar to Miles Morales, I think, who is also another sort of newer comic book character who we've seen in Spider-Verse can have such a great effect on people because of that freshness. And I think that same thing can happen with Miss Marvel, so I'm pretty excited. Um, other than that, yeah, we didn't talk about the the animated stuff, but is there anything else in the Marvel world? I mean, we, we learned things about like Loki and the what if and all that, but did anything else stick out to you or was it She-Hulk the main event? I guess, yeah, I don't really know anything else that stood out. All right, yeah, the, the what if stuff <laughs> looks fine. Yeah, I, we'll I don't, see. We'll I, didn't see know, it. I didn't know there was anything for what if, should be told. Oh, yeah, we, we got a bunch of stuff for that. Uh, I, I'm still digging into it, and it looks interesting. It looks as interesting as it sounded when they announced it at Comic Con. Um, as far as the animated stuff goes, I, I'm really worried about Frozen 2, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I, I really, I don't know. Like, it, it looks like it's doing that Beauty and the Beast 2017 thing of like, we have to explain things. We have okay. to explain where Elsa's powers come from and, and why, why Anna doesn't have any powers. Ooh. And yeah, that, that sort of thing is really bugging me. I'm like, I don't care about that at all. I feel like there's weirdly not a lot of buzz for this movie. Considering that Frozen's so huge, like I keep forgetting it's coming out. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at it as like, is this going to be? Last week we talked about animated movie sequels that just don't don't measure up to their predecessors in terms of box office, despite being critically accepted. And I'm I'm kind of wondering, is Frozen Two going to be the same situation? Maybe it's going to be pretty solid. It's, maybe it's going to be even better than the first Frozen. But I'm not sure the hype is there. I don't know. I'm not sure people are ready to 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 let it let it go all the way to two billion dollars who knows maybe i feel like if they had done in like 2016 this would have been like an undeniable hit but like now it's like 2019 it doesn't seem quite as fresh like i don't know if people have like moved on or if everyone just got sick of let it go or what happened but yeah it just doesn't seem like the buzz is there as much as i anticipated we did get some announcements for other things, like there's a uh, a new animated Disney animation film. The next one is going to be, uh, after Frozen 2, I should say, is going to be called Rhea and the Last Dragon, which, just saying, The Last Dragon is, like, the name of a, like, parody Disney movie that I came up with, like, a few years ago. So that was that was surreal, seeing that on, like, a poster. <laughs> um, that's 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 that. Um, that. I think Aquafina is going to be voicing a character in that. It's about finding the last dragon in, in like, a Chinese setting. Um, no, no much about that. There's also Onward, the next Pixar film. We learned a few more things about that. 
and Soul. We finally got a real look at the like Disney Pixar original film that comes out like right after Onward. And I'm still processing what what I think of it. It includes Jamie Foxx and jazz music. So I, I'm still very curious and uh, you can probably expect some uh, some soul onward and such uh, coverage on my blog, johnogurney.com this coming week. So I'll tease that for now. But yeah, everything else that Disney announced, like the next, like the, the Jungle Cruise film, I got some details on that and Cruella and there's going to be another Black Panther. Kit Harrington is going to be a character in Eternals. Everything else, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not as like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super excited about anything else we learned, to be totally honest with you. All right. Yeah, I've, I've really been kind of in and out with the news, so you know way more than I do, and I forgot about a lot of things that you mentioned, like Cruella. <laughs> oh, so. Yeah. Emma Stone as Cruella DeVille. Who boy. Uh, also, uh, the Disney Plus stuff, Monsters at Work, we learned some new things. That's the Monsters okay. Inc. spinoff series coming to Disney Plus. Yeah. And then the Muppets are getting a variety yeah. shorts thing to Disney Plus next year, which I, I had a feeling you'd be into. Yeah. Well, Matt and I were talking about it yesterday. It's just like... Just give them a variety show. Like, what they're doing is going to be, like, 15-minute, like, unscripted interview segments, apparently. And it's like, it's fine, I guess. It's just, like, you have the money. Just give them a variety show. It doesn't cost that much to make in the scheme of things. Just, like, I don't know. Just do, like, the Muppet Show Redux. It's, like, that That would be more appealing to me than whatever they have for these shorts. But teach their own. At least it's something. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, yeah, there's going to be Noel, the the Christmas movie with Anna Kendrick. Oh, that looks Hater. bad. There's going to be Lady and the Tramp, which looks pretty bad, the live-action version of that. I didn't see that. the trailer for that. Yeah, I was going to mention, um, do you know who wrote <laughs> Lady and the Tramp? No. The guy that did uh, Support the Girls in Computer oh. Chess. Really? Andrew something. Yeah, that's the screenwriter. Then I'm watching it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, so we mentioned She-Hulk, but there is going to be uh, Moon Knight getting his own thing. Um, and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier got a few more details on that. Uh, Wyatt Russell from Overlord, he uh, Kurt Russell's son. Yeah, um, he's going to be like the new like oh I'm supposed to be Captain America instead of the Falcon kind of character. Who yeah. uh, interesting character from the comics. Um, I, I don't know how interested you are in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think last time we talked I about this, you were like yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like Wyatt Russell. He I I mean. He has yeah. his father's charisma in some respects, so he does. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm happy he's getting some work. I agreed. And then last thing we'll mention this this is the thing that I've been thinking about the most. I, I know a lot of people are like, I bet John is just obsessed with Soul and Onward and all the Pixar stuff. No, what's on my mind is Lizzie McGuire getting the sequel series. We didn't even know we wanted. I know I did. Hillary Duff is back as Lizzie McGuire, um, the Disney Channel show of my childhood was Lizzie McGuire. And I know a lot of people are like, even Stevens, the famous Jet Jackson. And I'm like, you all can go to bed because you're old. Lizzie McGuire is the show. That's the show where it all changed for a young John Agroni. Well, Ashton, I take it from your stunned silence that you have finally found someone else who loves Lizzie McGuire as much as you do. Is that, am I right about that? Um, I didn't watch Lizzie McGuire, so I don't really have any connection to this. That'll uh, do it character. for us this week at Cinemaholics. Thank you well, for listening. Well, I'd love to see if it's just like a Vox Lux take on the character. That'd be pretty wild, but I highly doubt that's ever going to happen. All I know about it is that Hillary, like her version of the character, Hillary Duff is back, of course, and then yeah. she's going to be like a millennial and 
They're in her thirties and living in New York, I think. I don't know if that's true or if that's like a joke that somebody tweeted about, but I hope that's true. I hope that's what it is. Well, is that like what her show is now? She has a show on called Younger. Is that like what it is? Her in New York. I've never seen it. I haven't either, but I know of it. That's a good question for our listeners to to send to our comments on cinemaholics.com because Will and I were behind on Liz McGuire coverage or Hillary Duff coverage. I should be more specific. Sure. Well, she did that movie too about uh, Sharon Tate, right? Oh yeah. The haunting of Sharon Tate. She was yeah. in that. Oh yeah. boy. That was a while ago though. That was this year. That was this year. I thought that came out like two years ago. No, that was this year. It, at the very least it was last year, but I think it came out officially this year. Oh, then I was completely mistaken. So I apologize. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> oh boy. Haunting of Sharon Tate is not a film. I think either of us recommend. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's quite bad. Yeah. I know Sam says to stay far away from that. And I agree. So yeah. All right. Well that, that'll do it for all of our sort of hap dash D 23 coverage. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that was, that was helpful for people. Let's finish it with this question. I'm getting Disney Plus. I, I we've known this for a while. Everyone could see it coming. To me, it's it's too enticing not to pass up. I really want to see a lot of these shows. They they've made it very appealing to somebody like me to have Disney Plus. The price point is right. But well, where are you at at this point? We've talked about this before, but how are you feeling? Do you think Disney Plus is something you're gonna che- you're gonna actually check out? Uh, I don't know. All right, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't really, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't. Nothing I've seen so far suggests because it's going to be what, like seven bucks a month or eight bucks a month or 12 bucks a month. I think less than that. I think it's like six, seven dollars a month. I don't know. I am curious, though, um, depending on what happens with my Hulu plan, because they have a thing coming out where it's like uh, Hulu, Disney Plus and ESPN. And I don't really care about ESPN, but but to get uh, Hulu and Disney Plus in one, that might be intriguing. Right, right. I already have Hulu, so I'm I'm definitely paying close attention to that deal. So, it, yeah, well, when you know, we'll know, you know? Sure. All right, let's talk about a couple of things that we watched in passing this past week. I shouldn't say in passing. That sounds kind of dismissive. I should say things that we, 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 we both saw that we're not feature reviewing. Um, for you, that includes a film that I saw earlier this year that – is one of the the highest, like most critically acclaimed movies of the year. People love it. It's getting a part two. And I was pretty soft on. So I want to hear from you, Will. The Souvenir. Mm-hmm. Is this a film that you saw the lights when where I could not? Well, I mean, to be fair, you're not the only one I've heard be pretty critical of the film. It seemed like the response from people I knew was pretty across the board. Uh, it seemed like it, it's a film that it, it either works for you or it doesn't, I think. You could definitely appreciate it. I don't know if everyone can really enjoy it, but for me, yeah, I definitely liked it. I definitely appreciated it and liked it. I think a little more than you did as far as just being reflective cinema, being uh, that the movie is so much about like inward self-reflection mirrors are often seen throughout the film. And it's just like a filmmaker taking a pretty uh, personal part of her life and expanding on in a way that feels very intimate, but also distant in a kind of hindsight sort of way. And I thought it was a very uh, delicate balance that uh, really impressed me, and I was uh, definitely impressed by Honor Brian Swinton. I believe that's her name, the daughter of Tilda Swinton, who is the lead in the film. I don't know if I like through the roof loved it, but I definitely really, really enjoyed it as a movie experience. I'm definitely glad I took the chance to see in theaters because it played for about a week or so here, and I caught the last showing. So it's one I can definitely see where you're coming from as far as it being uh, a hard sit because it's, it's a little slow and it's 
it's a little hard going as far as if you don't really agree with the um, kind of scattered style of the narrative, which is that it, it, it definitely plays like the way one thinks in memories where it's like set key scenes, but you don't really get the tissue to connect them. So you kind of have to connect the dots by yourself. Um, that could not work for a lot of people. And I could see that being um, maybe a bit empty and shallow if you don't connect to that. But for me, I don't know, it really touched me. And I am very curious to know where it's going to go with season two. Or sorry, uh, the second film, part two. Um, right, because right. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where you can go from there. Like, I'm guessing it's going to be this, like, where the filmmaker is to now. But I'm not 100% sure if that's uh, sure. what the intent is or not. But yeah, I mean, I forget exactly what all your criticisms were. But I, I was definitely more positive than negative on it for sure. That, that's good to hear because it, it definitely is a film that I I support the success of. It's another A twenty four film, and I actually I looked it up. It's Honor Swinton Byrne, so you were close. It's not oh, okay. Great. Yeah, Honor Swinton Byrne, uh, the daughter of of course Tilda Swinton, and yeah. So like you said, it's semi autobiographical, and you know it's funny because when when you had mentioned that you had saw this, and I was in the middle of watching Glow and Glow season three. And toward the end of Glow season three, one of the characters who was first introduced in the first season, she she's basically written a screenplay that's going to become a movie in that show. And it reminded me so much of The Souvenir because it's semi-autobiographical. And I think that touches on a piece of sometimes when these movies come out and people basically make movies about their lives, sometimes I just see it and I just feel so talked down to by their their life story in the sense that like they're really I, I think that Joanna Hogg is going out of her way to to be self-deprecating about herself and really like presenting herself in a way that I think a lot of people probably appreciate for like the the brutalness and the frankness and the bluntness. But I sort of just take it as yeah. like just like a weird form of like cinematic self-harm of like really trying to like bring yourself down to everybody's level. And there's something about it that just doesn't resonate with me. And I'm sure people would disagree with that and have a totally different interpretation. That that was just my reaction, you know, like my knee jerk monkey brain reaction to a film that I saw where I could not connect with this character. And if you don't connect with that person and their struggle right, and you can't saying. sympathize, then that's where this, this movie's not going to work for you. It's just going to, you're watching Tom Burke be a horrible person for a long time and it gets very, very grating. Well, I can see what you're saying, but I just don't really agree with that point because I feel like the film by design is meant to be therapeutic. Like, I don't see it as her trying to go out of the way and make everyone miserable. I think it's her being honest and realizing that there is something very relatable about her struggles, but also recognizing that um, her story is her own and singular in many respects. And yeah, it's, it can be a little disjointed and hard to sit through. And I can understand why the movie isn't working for a lot of people, but it did for me, so... I'm sorry to hear that we have to disagree on this one. It, yeah, I mean, I think that the therapeutic angle of this is very interesting, and that's why I will watch part two. And I think that's hopefully where it's going to reach that point for me, and hopefully make the first movie a little bit better, because that is the movie that I want. Like, I do want that sort of singular, here is my experience in an honest way. There's just something about the way this one presents itself that I just it didn't strike me as honest and yeah, I, I guess that's something that I struggle with, and I'm glad I'm glad it clicked for you, and I know it's yeah. clicked for a lot of other people. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what, did you have a grade for it? I gave it a B plus, but I can see what you're saying. I I feel like 
what you the experience you had is kind of similar to how I felt while I was watching um, Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac Part One and Two. Like I remember that felt like he was trying to make some like the audience kind of miserable for an extended period of time while doing a character study, and that didn't really sit well with me. Mm-hmm. But this movie, yeah. I don't know, felt more. Uh, what was it? I was gonna, this is a much better film than Nymphomaniac. Yeah. I will agree with that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But that, I, I, when you when you say your complaints, like that's what I thought of. Like I, I feel like that's kind of like what you're making it seem. And I can I can see why people would feel similar. But I, I don't know. To me, it felt a little more um, hopeful and a little more self assured. I guess because it, it it seemed like there is like intent. Like it doesn't seem like it's just wallowing in itself. Like, I feel like there is an end goal here. And that's why, like you said, I'm very curious to see what season or I keep seeing season part two is going to be. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what's going to come out, but I guess we'll have to continue the conversation then. I know Adam Driver is going to be in it. So that, that's already a reason he, that I want to see it. Oh, is he replacing Robert Pattinson? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Robert Pattinson. I don't know why I said Adam Driver. Well, yeah, he, Robert Pattinson he got out. Is gonna be it. Okay. He's not in it anymore. Yeah. So, so Robert Pattinson's so, not in it? No, he dropped it because oh. he just had no time. But I don't know who they got Bummer. to replace him. Okay, well, we'll have to follow up on that. But for now, glad you enjoyed the souvenir. You also saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, a film that we have teased about watching the last few weeks. And this is the one that's based on the children's like horror movies, like more edgy goosebumps, I guess. Uh, what do you think of this one? I've heard only good things. Yeah, I liked it. Um like you said, yeah, I went into this one not super familiar with the books. Like, I, I went with somebody who was familiar, so they gave me a little more context. And I was able to understand a lot of the connections more. But, yeah, I didn't grow up with these this book series, and I, I don't know if I have that nostalgia that's aiming for. So, like, when certain characters came on and they were replicated to look like the way they looked in the book, it didn't hit me as hard. But as a movie experience, as a, what is considered, like, a book series as a gateway drug uh quote-unquote to a lot of horror movies like it's a pg-13 kind of it's creepy but it's not uh not like uh gore fest or anything like that it's something you can bring younger audiences to and i think that in that sense it works like i think there's something to be admired about a film that respects its audience while also pushing the boundaries but not to the extent where it feels like it's trying to be edgy or it's trying to be uh, a little more than what it ultimately is, because there is something on its mind. I think what it tries to say about uh, its parallels with Nixon and Vietnam to now is a little heavy-handed at times, but I think it makes it more than say a like kind of nostalgic fest that we can expect from a lot of films post Stranger Things. So I enjoyed it. I, my biggest criticism with it was that I think once you get to the structure of the film, like once you get past the first two or three set pieces, you you see a pattern and you see where things are kind of playing out and the rules kind of go a little fast and loose as far as like what is designed for the film. So you don't get quite the uh, same intensity as I think you get in the first half of the film, but ultimately, yeah, like you said, I mean, I never really, I didn't enjoy that goosebumps movie and I didn't really care for house with a clock on its walls. And this felt like the movie I was wanting both those films to be something that's a little creepy and dark and, but it's also uh, appropriate for like preteen audiences in a way that, uh, if you w- want to get a taste for horror, but you're not really willing to dive into like the the deeper stuff yet, this is a good introduction for that. I give it a solid B minus. Nice, yeah. Th- I wish this was coming out in October, right? Like that same time. Frame oh yeah, me too. As Goosebumps and House with a Clock on Its Walls, because I wish it had, it had come out at a time where you and I can actually give some time to both seeing it and discussing it in more detail. 
where sure. that just wasn't the case. I mean, we had the kitchen coming out that week and then we had like, it feels like a hundred movies come out in the past couple of weeks and kind of leaning into some of the things I've been catching up on. A lot of shows have been dropping lately. Uh, there's a, there is one other movie that uh, I'm planning on seeing extremely soon and hopefully we can talk about it, but I'm hearing amazing things about a new documentary on Netflix called American Factory which I'm hearing great things about. I definitely want to see that. But then there are all these shows that have been dropping that I'm just now finishing up. Uh, I finished up Mindhunter Season 2, Glow Season 3, and Cobra Kai Season 2, which is a YouTube show, which I sung the praises of when the first season came out last year. And then there's a new season of 13 Reasons Why that just dropped on Netflix. And Listeners, longtime listeners of the show know that I I really do not care for the 13 Reasons Why series, and I don't want to watch season three, so I'm kind of struggling with, like, should I keep watching this thing that I hate? And let me know in the comments what you think. Uh, I, I'm really struggling, because I, I kind of want to know what's going on with it, even though I hate it, and there's that. Uh, but shows that I really do like that I think people should see are, yes, Mindhunter, Glow, Cobra Kai. These are great shows. Some of the best shows on right now just came out at the same time, and I don't want them to get lost in the shuffle. Mindhunter Season 2, I kept my eyes peeled, Belashin. You are not in this season of Mindhunter, unfortunately. Your, your, yeah, cameo, your cameo from Season 1 has gone, un, uh, has gone unreplied, so I, I was sad to see that. I was very disappointed. <laughs> I I love I love Mindhunter. It it is a fantastic crime drama that still has David Fincher all over it. Uh he of course I think he directed a few episodes of this season as well along with I think Carl Franklin and a few others. And this show is just operating on another level when it comes to just mood and atmosphere and an aesthetic that uh, I find very chilling and addicting. And I got through the entire thing relatively unscathed uh, and i think it's just as good as the first season probably not better but in some respects it's better i think anna Torv, uh for sure gets much more her due this season she gets a lot more attention a lot more a lot more interesting introspection also holt mccallany uh i think i'm saying that right. holt mccallany i think is how you say it who plays bill tench he really is the main character of this season so Jonathan Groff is Holden Ford, the, who is the main character of the first season. Really follow his story. He takes a huge backseat in season two. And I think for the show's betterment, because McCallany and Torv really get more time to shine here. And they are just fantastic to watch as like Bill, Bill Tench is such a grueling, tired, weary, but also brilliant kind of person who is really like in charge of this behavioral science unit at the FBI, who I just hope resonates with people as much as he resonates with me. Uh, there, there are a lot of other standouts here. I think uh, his wife, Nancy Tench, played by Stacey Roca, is very, very interesting in this season. They, they take her in a direction that is definitely something to watch. And then there's also uh, Michael Cerveris is back, and a lot of people have been commenting on like the fringe of it all. I don't know if you did you ever watch Fringe, Will? I did not watch Fringe though. Okay, great show. I never finished it, unfortunately, but I watched like the first three or four seasons. And Michael Cerveris is a great character in that. Anna Torv, of course, is in that show, and so seeing them on screen together was this is a little bit of fan service, I think. It's a great show. There's serial killers in it. You should watch it. It's Mindhunter. 
Uh, well, I, I think that once once you get around to seeing it, we'll have a great conversation, I think. There's also Glow Season 3, which I don't have as much to say about. It's still a fantastic show, one of the best shows right now. And, and I should say Glow and Mindhunter are both on Netflix. But Glow Season 3, I, again, a season that I can't say is better than the previous two. I think it's about as good as Season 2, which was the best season. And this one kind of takes the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, who include Alison Brie, Betty Gilpin, and plenty others. Uh, Mark Marin, of course, returns. They are in Las Vegas for this season, and it definitely takes the show in an interesting creative direction. It's a, def- it's a different vibe, a different feel. Um, it has some really standout episodes. Uh, I think uh, Claire Scanlon gets to direct an episode or two, and she absolutely murders it. She's so good. Uh and just making these characters come to life through our own artistic vision. And it's becoming less and less a show about women wrestling and becoming something totally different. And for that reason, it's exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm very excited to see the, the fourth season, but it, it is a show that I kind of think will probably run its course pretty soon. Like it's getting to that point where, okay, like the story it's trying to tell is kind of naturally starting to wrap up. Um, but that's glow. Still very good. Yeah, it's because um, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it seems like there's a set formula with Netflix where they design most of their shows to only have three seasons because they figured like that's mathematically when people stop having interest in their shows. So there is a chance that Glow may not even get a fourth season. So I wasn't sure if uh, the third season wrapped things. Well, I, I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm saying that it, it, there's a higher likelihood now with Netflix where they feel like three seasons is enough for a show and they, they cancel it. I could honestly see Glow not having another season, but finishing on a movie. So maybe like Sense8, because it has a few loose threads left, but they could tie them up pretty fast. Like it's it's not a show that I think needs an entire season to finish its story, to what you're saying. And I, I would be fine with that. I think as like a th- three seasons in a movie, it would go out on a high note. And to be fair, I'm not saying it doesn't deserve a, se- a fourth season. I'm sure. saying that Netflix, that like, I don't know, it just seems like now like they have this formula where once a show like it's like like a Santa Clara to diet and there are a couple other ones where Santa even though Clarita like the story diet, yeah. yeah even though the show could continue going they Netflix didn't feel it was worth their investment to continue a new continue with that show when they could start a new one but I don't know there's something about that I find kind of uh, disheartening if that's true but I wasn't sure if if Glow was only to get that third season if it would, had ended things well yeah. or if it would have left things at a cliffhanger kind of note. Yeah, there is a slight cliffhanger, but again, not something that needs an entire season to be resolved. And sure. I, and on that note, you know, Mindhunter, for example, probably only needs one more season and it'll be fine. But then you have sh- their shows, like their blockbuster shows, like Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black. They're going to keep doing seasons of that for business reasons. But Well, I, Orange is done. Orange is that done, yeah, ended. but... I'm just saying, like, they went way past three seasons with that show and House of Cards, obviously. Yeah, well, that's from the earlier years, you're right. I just mean, yeah, like, yeah. now, like, starting from, yeah, whatever their saying, newest shows are. I'm just saying, like, if it's if a show is popular enough, they're probably going to keep churning it out, right? That said, I do want to point something out for Netflix that, since we did talk about Disney Plus earlier, Netflix doesn't get enough credit, I think, for just how much good work they've been doing with churning out new IP. Because, and that's why, that's why the third season thing is, is kind of fine with me because like it just means that they can put those resources toward new shows and new intellectual properties sure. and compared to like what we're seeing like the movie landscape right now where just there aren't a lot of original ideas like coming to the forefront in like interesting ways 
And you got to give Netflix a lot of credit for just being a really great champion of original stories that are accessible to mainstream audiences. Because you look at a lot of the shows, like, yeah, you have like your Voltrons and your Castlevanias, and you have shows that are obviously like playing on nostalgic stuff, but they balance it out really nicely with these shows, like Mindhunter and Glow, obviously. Um, and then, which is a crazy way to transition into Cobra Kai season two, which Cobra Kai is far and away probably it's it's got to be my favorite show on right now i i just i love really? everything about this i i it's just I don't, I don't know how to explain it well cobra kai is just great tv it's on youtube premium but i think they're transitioning into a part where you can watch it for free with ads if you're not a youtube premium person like i am but yeah cobra kai it's lean it's mean it's the series sequel to the karate kid movies and the second season is even better than the first. The second season ends with an episode that had me gasping. It had me getting emotional. It had me just punching the air with my fists, but then also like cringing all the same. This show is just, it's just popcorn TV. You know, there, there's nothing super deep about it, but it actually, it, it, it does have that sort of eighties mentality of it is, it is kind of like a, crowd-pleasing sort of thing but it has stuff on its mind and there's subtle there's subtleties to it there's nuance to it and it doesn't need that stuff but it still has it and that's what makes it so wonderful it may not be like the best show on tv right now but it's my favorite it's the one that like is just making me feel things and making me care and be deeply invested and in ways that i i wasn't i was never all that invested in the original karate kid stuff i always found them interesting and fun but the cobra kai series is just it's just wonderful. Like it, it's just, it just makes you happy to watch it. And like, it doesn't demand a lot from you and it, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't steal enjoyment away from other things. It, it's hard to explain my love for this show, but I will continue to tell people all over the cinema hogs community and beyond that they should be watching Cobra Kai. If they want to watch something, they will probably love. And that includes you, Will Ashen. I'm ready for you to join the, 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 the John dojo. I mean, I saw, I think, two or three episodes from season one that were available for free. Um, yeah, it, it, I didn't really get the same experience that you did, but I think that might be because um, watching the R Self Defense, I felt like that was a movie where it's like, oh, okay, this is what I want Cobra Kai to be. Like, I guess really lean into that. But basically, I, I feel like what I want is basically Jody Hill <laughs> to direct oh, this series. And I, I, and I, I can't see that being what Cobra Kai is or what you want from the series. So I can understand that probably your interest may not align in this factor. Yeah. And to be clear, I think Cobra Kai gets better and better as it goes. I think the, the latter, the, the second half of season one and the entirety of season two is infinitely better than the first couple of episodes, in my opinion. So just putting that out there for what it's worth. Okay. I mean, that's how it goes with most Jody Hill shows too, <laughs> but I see what you mean. But I will agree with you. Big fan of Art of Self-Defense. Good movie. All right. Last yeah, like thing the- we... Last thing we want to mention is the hunt. Now, the hunt. Uh, well, can you explain this? Because uh, this is a this is a thing we wanted to talk about last week, but we were too busy um, yep. to get to it. We kind of forgot about it. But what's going on with mm-hmm. this movie? Yeah. So uh, Blumhouse is a new movie coming out called The Hunt, and it was directed by I want to say his name is Greg Zobel. Is that does that sound right? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I know it's also co-written by David Lindelof. David Lindelof. How how you pronounce his name? Damon Lindelof. All right, there you go. Yeah, so basically, the general gist of the premise is that it's 
kind of like an action thriller satire centered around um, Midwestern people kind of being hunted for sport in a kind of like Battle Royale, Hunger Games kind of fashion. And essentially, they rile up and take out the elites. Now, apparently, Fox News saw the trailer for this because the trailer came out, I believe, around June. I remember seeing the trailer for it for the first time in uh, when I saw Crawl. So I remember talking to you about it. I was like, this, I, don't, I never mm-hmm. heard of this movie, but it seems kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but I guess they saw the trailer as like a personal front on kind of like dim-witted uh, Southern Americans, I guess. Which it, I think the filmmaker and Jason Blum have gone out of their way to say like it's kind of more. It sounds like it's kind of going for maybe more of like a centralist approach where it's like maybe we need to talk it out. Which I don't know if that's better or worse, but it just seems like that's what the intent of the film was. But either the, because of the marketing or just because they were assuming things, they uh, had this kind of hit piece on the film. And apparently, President Donald Trump saw that Fox segment. He called the movie racist. There's a huge uh, controversy about it. And uh, given a lot of the tragic uh, mass shootings, because the film deals a lot with gun violence, uh, Universal just felt it was easier to, instead of delaying the film, just outright cancel the release of it. And I think they were willing to do that because unlike if this was like Hunger Games 2 or something like that, where it costs like 50 to 100 million dollars this is a jason blum production so it can't have cost more than like 10 or 15 altogether 10 or 15 million it it costs 18 million okay 18 million so that's a little higher than their typical jason blum production but even still i guess to them it was they absorbed the risk i guess on it they felt like uh it wasn't worth releasing and possibly having even more controversy and maybe even something dangerous happening in a movie theater um, I don't know why they didn't feel that they could go with the uh, interview approach, which is giving it like maybe a limited release and releasing it on VOD or Netflix. But maybe that's down the road. I don't know exactly. But for now, the film has officially canceled its release. And we should say, uh, yeah, it's it's been released or it's been pulled from the studio's release schedule. But there right. is a chance that it might still have some sort of release internationally. But uh, we should mention that one of the things that played into this is that right before all of the like big criticism came from the political right, they did have test screenings for this movie and they showed these, they showed this movie to people in Los Angeles, like ultra progressive yeah. Los Angeles and people didn't like it. Uh, it got a lot of negative reactions because people were, uh, I think the quote had something to do with like people were just uncomfortable with how political it was or like the exact political nature of it. And it is kind of ironic because it does kind of strike me as a movie that plays into sort of like right wing, like I like right wing ideas of like liberal elites want to hunt us down and call us deplorables. Because I think part of the story is that these these like quote Trump supporting like Southern Americans or Midwesterners or like rural Americans, we should say, I guess they yeah. are sort of like. They, they are deemed deplorables by liberal elites who just assume they're all bad people, right? And then that's what like motivates them to just look at them as less than human. And that actually is something that plays into like right-wing talking points, I would say, about like, yeah. you know, how bad liberal elites are. So it is very ironic that like these people right. – I think I think somebody on Twitter said this. Like their brains are broken. Like they just jumped on this controversy without actually looking into it to see that they're – they basically got like a very a, a movie that would play to their interests. They got that canceled, and I think it's yeah. it's kind of funny in a way. And I'm not I don't really care about this movie. I don't think it looks very good. I think it looks just kind of 
mediocre and it just looks like it's trying to capitalize on the divisive nature of the country and i had no interest in it i don't like i don't like a lot of stuff produced by damon lindelof in the first place and i'm not really yeah i'm not really as familiar with the director here so i don't care i just think that it it, it happened before where like politics has gotten a movie canceled it happened with the interview and that all ended up being much ado about nothing. I think it's the same thing right. here too. It's like, who cares? Honestly, yeah. I do think there is a slippery slope to like people in power, like shutting down films. But in this case, I, I know I'm probably, I probably should be a little bit more concerned and I guess I kind of am, but I don't know. I, it's not like the president like ordered this film to be canceled. It really was just the right. studio being like, we don't need this. Like the film's not good enough no. to, to risk the, this sort of thing. And I think films that like, political people have been super like outspoken and negative about have still gone on to see the light of day and things have turned out all right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I'm like, I think you hinted at this. I'm more worried about what president this might start. Like I just don't, anything that might even be even a little bit politically divisive. I feel like it, outright canceling it is basically a form of censorship, which is, I, I find kind of concerning. See, I disagree. I don't think it's I don't think it's censorship if the studio willingly pulls it, especially because in this sense, it's not that it's political for reason. It's not just political. It's like it's showing like people killing each other over politics. Right. And I think there is something to that. Like there yeah. even though the president doesn't have the right intentions, I think there is something to showing a movie like this to people and being like, we're all just killing each other. It's like a little bit too heated. And it's the same sort of thing. Like I don't ascribe to the whole thing where like, Oh, video games are making people like violent. I wouldn't go that far because that's total BS. But I I do think there is something. Yeah. There is something to sort of like letting politics be this sort of like warring divisive thing in the movies, because we, we do have politically divisive movies out there that don't get censored as you would say, that still see light of day and it's fine. Yeah. What's the thing? It's like, technically, as far as we can tell, I mean, cause obviously none of us have seen the film. We don't know when we will, but uh, on a, like just a surface level, it doesn't seem like the thematics of the film are that different from say the purge movies or what we're going to talk about in just a little bit, ready or not. Like the, the film is touching on similar topics. It just seems that because it's more outspokenly political, I guess that's why people were disruptive about it. But just like I said, I mean, the Purge movies, I mean, the last two ones were extremely political and outrightly so. And it just seems Agreed, weird that, yeah. yeah, it just seems weird that like those two movies didn't really have that much upset from this audience. But this is the one that uh, broke it. Now, no, maybe it's just because it's coming out a year or two later. I don't really know what made this film exactly the one that um, caused this outrage. But to me, like I said, it just feels like scapegoating. It seems like people like certain members of the media are trying to blame a movie when there's bigger issues here and I'm, I'm not going to go too far into that, but it just seems like, I don't know. Like I, I don't see the movie as being the problem and I feel like not releasing it. Like I said, it's not even like I'm super jazzed to see it. Like I think it looks fine. looks like it could be fun, but I don't think it's going to be like a must see, but I think outright canceling the release is uh, just, it just sets a bad precedent for me. I feel like it, it seems like a bad way to go about it, but I respect universal for, um, you know, it seems like they have, the intention of realizing that it could be dangerous if this movie got released in theaters. And I don't know why they didn't feel the need to just put it on VOD, especially because they got so much free press out of the movie. They could easily make a lot of money just by putting it on VOD or Netflix. But I don't know. I mean, it, that's more my concern with it. Like you said, it's not It's not even like that we think the movie is going to be that good. It just I just don't want it to be a trend for what could happen 
with some movies that are outrightly political. I, I totally understand your concern. And I think, I think the reason I don't see it the same way, like I don't see it as a bad precedent is be actually because of those purge movies. I think they are pretty overtly political, but I think the way that the way that those films are able to sidestep a lot of that controversy is they're a little bit more honest about how like they're, they're really about like systemic problems in the country. They're, they're about like systemic evil and the way that it manifests. Whereas like this movie just seems to make it almost like a weird, violent comedy out of how much like liberal elites. So quote unquote, and like rural um, Americans like hate each other in a way that I don't think is very honest. I don't think is very interesting thematically, especially because like it, it, it does feel like a reaction to this idea that like rural Americans are like the victims of like liberal elites when they're really the victims yeah. of like the waspy conservative, like people in power, mm-hmm. <laughs> which to me is yeah. a more interesting thing. And this movie has nothing to do with that. So so that's why I kind of look at it as like the movie itself is already a bad idea and it's already confusing people and making people like annoyed and upset. And so that's why I'm like, yeah, get rid of it. It's not a movie that needs to be, it's not a story that needs to be told. So I don't, I don't look at it in a way as like it should come out for the sake of coming out because I think that it's, it's premises are the premise that it's based on is already so flawed uh, from what I can see. So that's why, that's why it doesn't concern me as much. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, it, it is some, it is an interesting precedent that could be set you know if like down the road a movie that was sort of saying something you know politically reckless but also kind of necessary um i think of movies like last week kind of mentioned one of my favorite movies from a year ago assassination nation if that movie had been pulled from the release schedule because of its of its nature and and how far it goes i would have been extremely upset because i think that is a case of a film that needed to be seen by people so um yeah i guess that's where we can leave it yeah, I guess just to me, though, it's if the movie there's a difference to me, like if it had come out in this conversation, come out and people were seeing the film as being too indecisive to a point where they feel like it could be read the wrong way. And obviously, like a lot of right wing political figures felt like it was like a personal front and they pulled the release after like a week. That would be different. I feel like just basing it off a trailer alone. Like we said, like most people haven't seen this movie and we're just kind of going off speculation as far as what we've heard about it. So that, that to me is what the dangerous precedent comes in is that we just haven't seen the film. We're just basing it off a piece of marketing and how many times has a trailer been misleading for what a movie actually is. So that's, I think the bigger concern for me is that we're just, we're basically a bunch of people are going off a hunch and just assuming a lot of things off a piece of marketing and that they have the power just through uh, things, the way things are right now to pull release just based on what they perceive a film to be. Not even what it seems to actually be is that's to me is really, really concerning. I think then that's why that's why I'm actually not as concerned because the fact that Universal pulled this because I think they saw that people weren't liking the movie who had seen it and then it had all this controversy around it so I could t- that's why to me it makes sense for like it, the movie's not good enough to like create this that's firestorm. What I mean, we're, that's speculation like we don't know that that's what I'm saying. I think it's they like we, know that though. Like I think I think there is like if they're showing this to people and they're not liking it and then people aren't liking the trailer, I think that they're they probably have a pretty good sense that like it's not going to be a movie that's well received by the public. So it's like why why release it at that point? I guess. I just to me it seems like I wouldn't base a movie based on a trailer and test audiences cuz how many times have we seen movies fall through the cracks because test audiences didn't understand it? 
or the trailers are misleading. It just, I don't know, it just seems like it kind of, I don't know, I, I, I would rather base the movie on the actual film, but we can't do that, obviously, so... I don't know. There's like no real way we can argue whether it would be good or bad to release it. But sure. like I said, I understand where Universal is coming from as far as pulling the release. If there is, you know, obviously, like they said, I mean, they, their reasoning is because of the ongoing mass shootings, which makes 100 percent sense. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want anyone to feel like they are in danger if they go to see a film. So, yeah, for that sense, I, it makes sense. They pulled the release. It's just kind of frustrating to me that. We're just having a conversation about a film without having even the context of seeing the film to really judge whether or not it warrants any merit. Well, you know, I think uh, it'll probably hit a streaming service at some point. I don't think they're just going to get rid of it completely. So we can add it to our list of movies that were canceled that Will and John talk about. Uh, that'll that'll be along the likes of I Love You, Daddy. I Love You, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... And uh, maybe the maybe we can watch the interview again. I don't want to, but I guess we could. Uh, it was it was okay. Just yeah, like you said, yeah, it was yeah. a lot much ado about nothing really, more than anything else. But um, I will say the director. I, I don't want to dismiss him because he has done some good work. Um, he made Compliance and Z for it's, I think it's called Z for Zachary, which are okay. both really solid films. So I've never seen and he also him, did. So. Um, well, he's seen some stuff you've seen. Uh, he did some episodes of Leftovers, American Gods, and Westworld. Oh. So he is, okay. you've seen this stuff probably. Well, I don't like Westworld, so. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. But um, he was also weirdly one of the um, co-creators of Homestar Runner, which really? I find very bizarre <laughs> that, uh, well, indirectly, he helped create the characters. I just find it kind of amusing in the scheme of things that one of the most controversial movies of the year is from a guy who helped create Homestar <laughs> Runner. So That's kind of funny. That's 2019 in that show. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, well, I'm glad Betty Gilpin, even though she's not in the hunt, she is in Glow Season 3, which uh, people should watch. Well, she is in the movie. No, well, I'm like, saying just she's not came, in the movie. Just because it didn't come out, she's still okay, in it. what I'm saying is she's not going to be in the movie that's coming out. I, my semantics are escaping. I get, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying now. <laughs> All right, that, that'll do it for a front-loaded off-topics. We, we, we got through a lot of content there. Hope it was beneficial for you all. But let's get into a movie that you and I both saw that... I think definitely was the film that we knew far and away would be the one we want to talk about on this week's episode, Ready or Not. Who wants to play a game? It's time for hide and seek. Run, run, run. Time to run and hide. Run, run, run. And now I'm going to find you scurry off into So Ready or Not is a black comedy horror thriller. Uh, it was directed by Matt Bellini, Olpin, and Tyler Gillett. It's from a screenplay by Guy Bizzik and R. Christopher Murray. It stars Samara Weaving. So she's this, this newlywed who she marries into this family that's very rich. She herself doesn't come from an amazing background. So the family is like a little skeptical of like, oh, is she really only getting into this family for the money? As we find out, they're like a gaming uh, dominion, I think is what they have to call it. Um, where they own like all of these sort of like Milton Bradley S games and she, she gets, she marries into the family that all happens, but then her, her husband, her new husband played by Mark O'Brien, I think they, he, they have a conversation. He's like, well, okay, before you're officially part of the family, you have to play a game uh, at midnight tonight on their wedding nights. And the game is going to be by chance. She's going to draw a card and depending on what the game is, so certain things might happen. 
And there's one card that she definitely should not pick because if she picks that card, which is hide and seek, as the name implies, then unbeknownst to her, the entire family is going to hunt and try to kill her in order to do something that I won't give away. That has to do with some some dark, sinister intentions. The family itself is played by Adam Brody, is the brother of the groom, uh, Daniel LeDemas. Uh, so it's good to see him again. Mark O'Brien, as I mentioned, is the husband. Henry Zerny plays Tony, uh, who I, I don't even remember. Wh- which one was Tony? That wasn't Fitch. Fitch was played by Christian Brunn. Maybe he was like the dad character. Probably. Yeah. I should say a lot of these, these uh, actors I was not as familiar with. So that, well, except for Annie McDowell, of course, who is not Michaela Watkins, obviously. Uh, Annie McDowell uh, is the mother. Uh, Nikki Guadagnini is uh, Aunt Helene. And Melanie Scrifano plays Emilie. And Elise Levesque plays Charity. It, it, it's a it's a kind of an interesting cast. There's also the there's a, a butler character, uh, Stevens, played by John Ralston, and a few maids who are basically red shirts, um, as you'll see in the trailer. But th- this is a, a movie about hide and seek in a gothic mansion where Samara Weaving has to kick ass and take names in order to survive. What did you think of Ready or Not, Will Ashen? Well, it's interesting. I. I feel like by design, like this is a movie that very much is like, okay, I'm a hundred percent about this idea. I, I like a lot of horror comedies that have kind of a high concept idea like this, while also staying very grounded into one setting. It's actually kind of similar to a, a film that I have in the back burner of my mind for like a horror comedy, but not similar enough that I would uh, disregard it. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a film that it seems like something I'd really enjoy. I, I like the trailer, even though it gave away way too much. Um, I really also enjoy Samara Weaving and Melanie Stefano um, among some of the other cast members. I, I feel like they both are actresses that have really shined in certain projects. I was really excited to see both of them uh, in a project that would really uh, give them something to do that's more beneficial than some of the lesser movies they've done. For instance, um, Samara Weaving was in The Babysitter on Netflix, which is not a good movie, but she had yeah. clear star power in that. And it was clear that it was like, okay. This movie is not working, but you have something. We, we should be in a better movie. Let's let's keep you in the the main lead parts because you have uh, that star power. And I think it, among everything else, I think this movie is really good about giving Samara Weaving that star platform in a way that I've heard some people compare to Jessica Roth with Happy Death Day. And I think that's totally valid. I think she is great in the movie. And I think her as an actress really helps to keep the project afloat even past some of its kind of flimsier parts um as a film though i feel like it works like i dig it but i didn't really ever love it in a way that i was hoping to and i've been trying to figure out why that is and i don't exactly know why and maybe we'll figure it out what we're talking but i think it's just because it goes to a point and i like that the ending kind of gets out there but i feel like there's something missing here that i'm that's really going to make me like love it as much as other people are and i think it may just because the premise seems kind of maybe a little too basic or I don't know if it's just that it, it kind of has a kind of stop and start style that I found a little frustrating, but, or maybe it's just because the comedy, like I think kind of undermines some of the, the genuinely good suspense that I felt throughout the film, but I like the film a good bit. I, I think it's a lot of fun as a lot of people pointed out. And I definitely think as a showcase for Samara weaving in particular, it's going to do wonders, I hope, but I, I know that from what I've heard from you, you're going to disagree with that. What? No, I, I really like the movie as well. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's 
it's like a new classic or anything like that. I just, I, I just think this film is perfectly enjoyable in, in every way. It's not the sort of film that I think to what you're saying, it's not going to blow your mind at any point. Like there, there's nothing about it where you're just like, wow. Did you know that rich people are bad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, I don't think it's aspiring to that point, which is why I'm really happy with how everything in it turns out to be totally honest. I, I just think that it, sure. it, it aims for its mark and it hits it. It, it, it's not sure. it's not an a movie by any sense but it just for what it is i know we talk about that a lot it, yeah. it's just working on all cylinders for me so i watched this movie it uh friday morning um because i i just i just wanted to see it i just wanted to see how it would turn out and i watched it again that night <laughs> um I, so I watched it twice in one day which i don't think i've ever done that i don't think i've ever watched the same movie in theaters twice in one day and the main reason I did that was because I told my girlfriend about it. She wanted to see it. We were on like a sort of date night thing. And so we kind of spur of the moment, decided to go check it out. And I, I thought it was really rewarding to see it the second time when you, when you kind of know what everything, where, how everything's going to turn out. And the comedy works a lot better the second time, because to what you're saying, the tension and the suspense is a little bit more like you understand where like the film is trying to actually scare you. And when it's really just trying to make you laugh. So Maybe that's that's one of the reasons I look at this as like a cult classic in the making. It's not going to take the box office by storm or anything, and it already isn't. Uh, this, but this film is it's going to do fine. It only costs six million dollars to make, which I think is very impressive oh, yeah. considering how mm-hmm. good it looks. Yeah, it's it's got a very like grainy film style that's very enticing, and it makes yeah. you feel like you're watching like the sequel to Clue <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, just the way that it's shot. Yeah. And it's already made about like $10 million or so. So it's doing fine. It, it's yeah, it's not going to be like a breakout hit, but I think people are going to discover this film over the next few years. And I could see like it have uh, a lot of, a lot of success on streaming and rental for sure. But yeah, I, I don't think we disagree much. I, I, I think that it, it, it's a film that just uh, it's got bodily horror, which I love. Um, and, it, it, sure. and I should say like love in the sense that it knows how to one up itself over the course of the movie. Like it, it never, it never sort of like goes steps down a notch. Uh, it just gets gruesome, more gruesome as it goes. And I, I think that Samara weaving is like you said, just, just somebody on the rise here. I, I think that mayhem was in a movie I saw, but I heard good things about it. She, she was in that with uh Steven Ewan. Yeah. That's not a good film, but the other one where she stands out. Right. Right. And I, I think I, I, for a second, I thought when I saw Charlie says she, I thought for a second she was Sharon Tate in that movie. I think I'm wrong about that though. But uh, I don't think she is. Yeah, yeah, but they look very similar. She's going to be in Bill and Ted Three, and kind of spot on casting as uh, the son of Bill, uh, oh, Alex she's, Winter. She's the son of. Or, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> the daughter. My bad. My um, bad. My apologies. Um, sorry. The the daughter of um, yeah, Bill. She was in Monster Trucks. If we if we want to talk about films, she really is, like she was. Was she in Monster Trucks? I didn't see Monster Trucks, but I know she was in it. Oh, you didn't? I thought you yeah. saw it was Monster Trucks. No, um, I, I forget who she was in that. Yeah, I just remember Jane Levy. Yeah, she wasn't the main girl or anything, but uh, she was also yeah. in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh yeah, she's great in that. She's probably one of my favorite parts of Three Billboards. Yeah, um, and I think she's in another film that's coming out. I think this year, next year, called Guns Akimbo. Have you heard about this one? This is the Jason Lee Howden film with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh yes, I have heard of this. Yeah, I've seen a picture from it. I'm very curious to see this film. Yeah. Natasha Lubrizzo is in it as well. I I don't know okay. too much about it, but uh, yeah, she's supposed to be like a main character, and uh, I think that it could be really good. It's like something that has something to do with like gladiator battles in the internet or something. I don't know. 
Um, she was also in the uh, the BBC Picnic at Hanging Rock show, I think. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, she's I, in I TV stuff. It. You're right, because she was yeah. in um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I heard. I haven't seen that show, oh, yeah. but I, I think she oh, was yeah, in a few she is. of that. Forgot about that. Yeah, she, yeah, that's good. So Samara Weaving, she uh, she's somebody to look out for, similar to Jessica Roth, I guess. To your point of like yeah. an actress who a blonde actress, I guess, is another common factor, I guess. But uh, somebody who just is like showing up in these like not a lot of people had this movie on their radar in the same way like happy death day didn't have a lot of, have a lot of like early fans but just an actress who really makes that movie you know like this movie is as good as it is i think because of her and also adam brody uh what, what did you think of adam brody in this movie oh he's good yeah i mean i think he's always stand out and i just feel like he probably hasn't done i guess it's another example yeah like he's he's done good work in movies that probably haven't really had him had a chance for him to shine as well as he could. Like it just seems like, I don't know if he just has a bad agent or something, but um, yeah, it seems like he's always been kind of restrained when he should be probably bigger than he ultimately is. But it was a good showcase for him. I was happy to see him again. Cause I don't feel like I've seen him in anything in a long time. Well, Shazam. Oh yeah. Well, that was like a small thing, but yeah, he wasn't hmm. that. How dare you? Um, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's, that's not false. It's a small part in the movie, um, right? You, he was in yoga hosers, wasn't he? Like the worst movie oh. of 2016, you thought? Yeah, that was really bad. And um, uh, Chips. Yeah. and I won't hold that against him. I think the last movie I saw him in, uh, he had more of a role in. Well, he wasn't in. was Sleeping with Other People. He didn't have a huge role in that, actually. I remember he was in Jennifer's Body, but that was like 10 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, that was forever ago. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's it. Uh, Ready or not, I, I honestly don't have too much to say beyond what we've mentioned. I just think people should go see it because it, it is it is kind of exactly what the trailer says to do. I agree with you. The trailer gives way too much. I had that moment where I was like, oh, I, I kind of know what's going to happen because I remember this moment from the trailer. So if you have not yeah. seen the trailer for Ready or Not, I actually don't recommend that you see it. Right. Me too. Or only the first half of it, at least. Like maybe like cut it off like at the 150 mark or something. So if you can... Yeah. I d- definitely recommend seeing this movie with an audience. Uh, first time I saw it, there was yeah. there, weren't, there wasn't anybody in there. So like, th- but some of the most fun moments of the movie are made even better when like the whole audience is just like, oh, like you know, like reacting. And mm-hmm. uh, even though I had I knew it was coming and I had seen these moments before, I had just as fun, just as much fun uh, doing it again, but with like more people there to react as well. So yeah, this is just one of those movies, like you know. Well, people complain constantly. They're like, I'm so sick of Marvel films. I'm so sick of like, there's no original films. And yet an original film is out in theaters, people. And it's good. And people like it. And it's, it's a crowd pleaser and it's a good horror movie. And it's better than like, what, Annabelle, whatever. And it's better than like, it's better than like these horror films that like we've already seen done a million times and nobody's watching it. And it's just like, come on, like practice what you preach. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And I, I wish I was like on a higher level with like the same level that you and a lot of other people are on it. Cause I think on paper, the film is exactly everything I want it to be, but I just feel like, I don't know, just watching it didn't hit me quite as hard as I was hoping. I, like, again, I don't exactly know why it's, it didn't win me over as much, but I do agree that it's definitely worth watching, especially if you feel like it's up your alley. And I think it's more uh, worth attention than like, you know, yeah, another sequel or yeah, like you said, any of the conjuring movies that we've gotten this year so i would definitely recommend it for sure yeah i just i wish i was on that high of a level but maybe a second viewing will do that for me well i liked it just as much both times i saw it uh, i'm a b on ready or not very strong b i could see it go up to a b plus uh very easily uh you know upon further 
reflection. It's just a movie. The more I think about it, the more I enjoy it. I already want to see it again with uh, another group of friends. I think it's worth seeking out for sure. Uh, what about you, Will? What, what do you give this one? Um, I'm going to give it a high B minus. Like I said, it didn't it didn't wow me as much as I was hoping it would, and it didn't hit me as much as I wanted to. But all the elements I like for sure, and I do really enjoy Radio Silence. They did my favorite segment in VH1 one or VHS one. I mean. Uh, so I, I would like to see them do more stuff. Um, I didn't see the movie they did before this, uh, which I heard wasn't that great. So I'm glad this one's working out for them. Um, and yeah, I enjoy it. Like I said, I especially enjoy Samara Weeding's performance and I'm happy to see Adam Brody and Milani Stefano get some great parts in this as well, uh, as well as Andy McDowell. She hasn't really done much recently. So, uh, yeah, in that sense, you know, it's certainly a crowd pleaser. Like you said, certainly one that's highly enjoyable, but, um, uh, it didn't it didn't hit didn't nail the mark for me but it got pretty close all right well critics are definitely like it liking it a good deal as an 87 percent on Rotten tomatoes out of 141 reviews average rating is pretty high 7.2 out of 10 and i, I the cinema score which uh, i think is a, an important factor of a film like this to get good word of mouth is a very solid b plus which for cinema score is like yeah it's like about a b minus b so if you're if you want to correlate yeah. it to something uh, which means most people are watching it and liking it. Yeah, I don't really pay much stock in the cinema score, but I'm glad they're liking it at least. Yeah, I think I think in a vacuum cinema score is not very useful. It's more useful when you look at how different like different cinema scores across the spectrum from different films. It, I think it gives an interesting insight into how people knee jerk react to a film and then how that like can correspond to how much box office it's doing and how the marketing is working. So I, I think it's a factor. It should never be looked at on its own. I think. I don't know if to me, eight out of 10 times, I only really care if it gets an F because to me that feels like, Oh, then it is going to be something interesting. <laughs> uh, otherwise, oh, um, yeah, I don't really pay much stock into what cinema or, or like a D level kind of thing. Right. Cause mother was like, what a yeah. D minus or something. No, I think mother was an F. Mother was, was an F. What was, the, what was the other one yeah. that was like in the D territory? Actually, I think it came out. Uh, that, was that was hereditary. Uh, no, was it Midsommar? Actually, no, no Midsommar actually got like a pretty high score. Like for cinema score, yeah, it got like a it was C like or a, something. Yeah, yeah. There, hereditary got like a else. D. Yeah, I think it's. I think you're thinking of hereditary because hereditary because the marketing made it seem like it was going to be like a lot of jump scares and stuff, and the film was a lot more subdued and kind of eerie, and the cinema score folks yeah. were like, "This isn't what we thought it was going to be." D. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, not cinema score folks, but just the people polled outside of like right after seeing the film, we should say. But yeah, which is the, I, I'm pretty sure the same people. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I uh, have to imagine they're mostly the same folks. They're mostly the people in Los now. Angeles. But well, that said, there there are people who you're right about Hereditary. Hereditary was like a D or something. There is another movie, though, that I, I just can't remember for some reason that did come out this year that was in the D territory. And I just I'm blanking on it. This I'm year? sure it'll come to me later. Yeah. OK, I, I don't know. Is it a horror film? I think so. But yeah, it's just not okay. clicking. Uh, yeah. Hmm. All right. But all right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Here's what we have on deck for next week. Now, there are not a lot of releases, actually. Uh, kind of a dead zone. We're going to be doing our fall movie preview. Still figuring out who's going to be on that show. Should be a lot of fun because fall has a lot of interesting films, a lot of like Oscar contenders, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of interesting projects that didn't quite make the summer cut, um, but we'll, we'll be talking about those films that they're going to be coming out between September and November uh, next week. And it'll, it'll be interesting because I think after that, we'll be talking about it chapter two. So I, I'm, I'm curious, Will, do you plan on rewatching it before our it chapter two episode? 
Yeah, I'm also going to try to watch um, the Tim Curry one because I never got around to watching that. Oh, but uh, so both of them, you're going to do the miniseries mm-hmm. and the the movie? Yeah, rewatch the movie and watch the okay. miniseries because I've read the book, so yeah. I want to check both adaptations out from that lens. I think I'm I'm just going to watch the movie again because, as you remember, I did not care for the first it, and I want to see yeah. if two years removed makes me a little bit soft, like a little bit happier with that, maybe a little bit more positive. But we'll see. Yeah. I'm very curious to see. I I, I have a feeling uh, this is just a hunch that I'm gonna like it less and you're gonna like it more, but mm. we'll see if that comes true. Yeah. All right. Well, Will has put his predictions down. You can predict as well yeah. in the comments section of this episode on Cinemaholics.com. Sure. Uh, don't forget, you can find all of our our show notes in the episode description. You can find our Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, everything like that in the show notes as always. And uh, we'll see you all next week. That's all we got for you from the Internet, California. I'm John Agroni. And for you in Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time.